Hey, y'all, how's it going? Oh, good. Yeah, me too. All right, well. Welcome to the show. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Sad news. Matthew Harwood can't do the show today. Which is really unfortunate, because he wrote this great freaking article that, you know, I wanted to hear him talk about it. It's called Welcome to Copland. You know, the police state. And man, is it good. You know, he's, uh, something or other for the ACLU now. Old friend of the show going way back, this guy. Great writer. Uh, as far as I can tell, good on everything. As far as I can tell. Um, and yeah, man, uh, dang on. Welcome to Copland. That's the article. It's at uh, Tom Dispatch. The logic of the police state. People are waking up to the darkness in American policing, and the police don't like it one bit. Yeah, they're one of the most powerful interest groups in America. The government employee unions. God, what a mess. I'm going to keep saying this, even though it'll get old for you people who heard me say it all the time, because I really want this to happen. I think it'd be great if the police made their own political party. Said nuts to you, Republicans and Democrats. We're sick and tired of you for a moment giving credence to the complaints of civilian citizens of this country who'd like to be cut some slack for a minute. Hell no, no slack. Gotta keep police employment numbers up at all costs. More drug wars, more terror wars, more SWAT raids. More and worse penalties for everything, all the time. I mean, I know they would just be, it's, it'd be hard to differentiate them from the Republicans and the Democrats, but I just like for things to be above board, that's all. You know. Great piece, though. Uh, but you know what? We will have a great interview about the police state today, and that is going to be a bit more specific the Matthew Harwood's great piece at TomDispatch.com. And that's John B. Carroll is coming back on the show. He uh, suffered a little bit of criticism uh, after his last article about this town in Alabama where, according to him, he's got a leaked internal affairs report that implicates these cops in framing somewhere right around a thousand black men of crimes, or maybe it's not that many. It's that many, that many fake crimes. I don't know if it's the same poor schmucks over and over and over again, but either way, uh, probably some of both there. So John B. Carroll's going to be back on the show because he says, "Oh yeah, well, if I'm so wrong, then how come this assistant district attorney says I'm right?" Whistleblower assistant district attorney. Holy crap! I don't think those words have ever been put together in English before ever. This is George Carlin-esque, you know, victory. History made just now. Can you imagine a prosecutor complaining about how prosecutions go? No way. What is this? 
some other country somewhere on Earth that's not the most corrupt, vile, disgusting empire on the planet? I almost can't believe it. That's far less credible to me than a thousand framed black men. They framed a thousand black men, huh? What was that? Thursday? But now you're trying to tell me an assistant district attorney admits it and accuses the others? (gasps) Seriously, I'm shocked. I'll talk with him about that. Oh, yeah. And Seymour Hirsch is going to be on the show to talk about, well, you know, the Syria war, the piece that I basically read the whole damn thing to you yesterday. And I actually already recorded the interview with him. This morning I'll be playing it for you in just a little while. Seymour Hirsch on his piece, Military to Military, U.S. Intelligence Sharing in the Syrian War. And that'll be coming up in just a little while. I got Yemen news here. Pro-Saudi forces advance into Yemen's capital's province. Houthi general vows attacks on Saudi military targets, continuing to amass gains amid a week-long ceasefire. (laughs) Pro-Saudi forces have seized a pair of mountains in the northeast portion of Yemen's Sana province, putting them only about 60 kilometers away from the nation's capital city. The advance came amid heavy, heavy, heavy fighting. Sorry, bad typo there. The advance came amid heavy fighting along the Yemen-Saudi border over the past week, with both sides bringing a growing amount of armored vehicles into the battle. Ultimately, neither side won a decisive victory, but the pro-Saudi forces have advanced into some new territory. The pro-Saudi forces have, however, definitely gained overall on the ceasefire fighting, capturing multiple cities in the past week, including the city of Al-Hazm in the northwest. The Shiite Houthis are threatening more retaliation against targets inside Saudi Arabia. Houthi Brigadier General Sharaf Lukman said that 300 Saudi military targets had been selected for potential strikes and claimed the Houthis still had about 60 to 70 missiles, many more than the Saudis had previously estimated. In the initial few weeks of the war, Saudi warplanes bombed many of the Yemeni missile bases under Houthi control and had estimated they had few remaining missiles. Last week, the Houthis fired a Tachka missile at a Saudi base near Taiz, killing 152 troops. They fired a few smaller missiles and rockets at Saudi territory, but to much less effect. Man, and that war is just going to keep going on. Hey, as long as you can afford it, they're going to be bombing Yemen. Sorry. But uh, there's no real interest group, right? The only interest group in uh, in Yemen or in the United States representing Yemen are the aggressors in this war, the exiled sock puppet Hadi government and his alliance with the Saudis. There's nobody sticking up for the civilians other than, you know, Oxfam and Human Rights Watch and Amnesty and whatever who I don't know how good of a job they're doing. You got to be careful with HRW and Amnesty. You know, half the time they're the ones supporting the regime change, 
like they did in Libya. Well, certainly Amnesty did. I think Human Rights Watch might have refrained from being bad on Libya in 2011. Amnesty absolutely was horrible on it. The guy even came on my show to support it. I thought the point was going to be, you know, hey, let's be honest, Gaddafi's a pretty bad guy, but that doesn't mean we're for war, for overthrowing him, because think of what horrible consequences that might cause, you know? And then, no, the second half of the conversation was, yay, bomb him. What? <laughs> Amazing. And they're just, you know, arms of the State Department one way or the other. Sometimes they're right, but not usually so much. But anyway, who else is sticking up for the Yemenis? Right, I know, that's it. Uh, a few academics writing articles for Al Jazeera or something like that. But meanwhile, this has been going on since March. America's helping Saudi enforce their blockade. America's helping them arm and, uh, you know, target their planes and their bombs. America's doing their refueling in midair. It's America's war. It's just like when Ethiopia invaded Somalia in 2006. That's the U.S. Army Ethiopia Division did it. Same thing here. And I know it could be argued the tail's wagging the dog and the Saudis are the ones really pushing it, but the Americans don't have to go along. They're the empire. They're the ones responsible. Obama, his Pentagon, his spies, his national security state, ours. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Coming up, Seymour Hirsch and John B. Carroll. Oh, lots of news. Lots of news. Um, you know, uh, Adam Sandler is not so much interesting to me. But he's a famous person, and he got himself involved in an important conversation and so, you know, it's worth highlighting and whatever, just if I can catch uh, two more people's attention here. So uh, you may know that Roger Waters, the former lead singer of Pink Floyd, has been uh, a big proponent of the boycott and divestment movement, BDS as it's called, um, on boycotting Israel. And... Uh, he, he also does a real good job of publicly shaming any, uh, at least musical artists, I don't know what all different artists, for going and touring in Israel. And says, you're providing aid and comfort to criminals, and you got to quit it. And he gives them a real public hard time about it. Well, so Adam Sandler, 
who uh, don't even bother getting his latest one off the Pirate Bay because it'll put you to sleep. I had to watch it two different nights to get through the end. <sighs> but anyway, I don't remember laughing at any point during it. But that's neither here nor there. So Adam Sandler, he went on the Howard Stern show and just said, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, screw Roger Waters and who cares, whatever. I'm proud of being a Jew and that's what I am, he said. And that was his argument. Um, people, he says, they sometimes say this word about Israel. I know they do. And when, whatever, and so the whole thing. And Stern, of course, agrees with him. And they say, um, yeah, you know, oh, you know, my father loved Israel, so I do too. And whatever. Mm. But here's what's funny. They never even pretend. They never even pretend to confront the argument about Israel. I mean, there are some people who can't necessarily disagree with them who would point out that this whole project is a racist, exclusionist project and that Israel is built on stolen land. Every bit of it, the whole thing is wrong from 48 on. However, the vast majority... And that may go for some of the BDS movement, too. Be worth hearing them out. But, um, you know, even they, I think, would admit that they only support the one-state solution, or not only, maybe, but they support the one-state solution now because there is no two-state solution, and they know it. They know that the Israelis' position is to never give the Palestinians their own state. They know that the Israeli position is to slowly and steadily but surely steal all of the West Bank of the Jordan River and reduce the Palestinians who live there to the lowest status imaginable or, you know, finally force them off the land completely. And so that's what the boycott's about. The boycott is about a permanent occupation that's gone on for 48 years, since 1967. Never even mind the Nakba, which was the original so-called catastrophe, when 750,000-plus Palestinians were forced from their homes and or killed, run off into uh, you know, refugee camps around the region, and then, of course, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip. East Jerusalem is part of the West Bank. And so, all they ever say is, well, you're picking on Israel, and oh yeah, well, I'm Jewish, and so I like Israel, and so screw you. Implying that if Roger Waters doesn't like Israel, it must be because he doesn't like Jews. But that's certainly not what Roger Waters said. But they don't ever confront that. And I think part of the reason, I've explained this before, part of the reason that I have such a chip on my shoulder about this issue is I went, oh, I don't know, geez, more than half my life 
so far anyway. Uh, see how long I live. Um, without anyone ever saying, okay, look, so there's Israel, Israel, and then there's the occupied territories where ever since 67, these people have lived under a foreign martial law military occupation. A foreign army that comes and steals their helpless children out of their beds at 3 o'clock in the morning like the worst Gestapo or NKVD nightmare and tortures them. Really? Occupies them, kills them, steals from them, kidnaps and tortures their children. And then they cry, oh, boo-hoo, you're just picking on Israel. Yeah, well, what other country in the world is doing that right now? Does the Chinese police state even kidnap children out of their bed in the middle of the night? You recognize there's virtually no accountability for executive branch officials in China whatsoever. They can do whatever they want. Except make their bosses look bad, in which case they might be executed, but... Is there any other country in the world that's been occupying their neighbors, most of whom are refugees anyway, but never mind that, and has been occupying them for half a century, longer than the Soviet Union occupied Eastern Europe, who refused to recognize their rights at all, who create, yeah, that's right, who create groups like Hamas to serve as their prison trustees, to rule over their, in Gaza, mostly, mostly minor population. They're not even minors, right? They're the majority, the under 18. How many of them you think voted for Hamas in 2006? Hamas that Israel created, that was running against Fatah, where Israel kept all of Fatah's tax money and wouldn't give it to them to buy up their votes like usual. Rigged the election for the enemy. It's the barbarism, Sandler. It's not the Judaism. Nobody cares if Israelis are Jewish or not. Nobody cares. Well, maybe some people do, but very, very few people care about that at all. And it's so easy to see that if the Israelis had given up the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem to be an independent Palestinian state back years ago like they said they would... In the late 1970s, that's part of the Camp David Accord. Yeah, Americans are bound to give Israel and Egypt billions of dollars a year to keep them from fighting. But the Israelis aren't bound by their word to give up a Palestinian state in the Camp David Accord, nor by Oslo, nor by any other deal they've ever made. Because it's all about establishing facts on the ground, eventually stealing all of the West Bank from the people who own it. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by Audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Show, you can get your first audiobook for free. 
Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military-Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show. It's the Scott Horton Show. All right, y'all, introducing Seymour Hirsch, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter, author of Chain of Command about the torture regime in the Bush Jr. administration. And this one is in the London Review of Books, Military to Military. Seymour Hirsch on intelligence sharing in the Syrian war. So there's been a DIA report that came out from Judicial Watch and it's been written up by Brad Hoff and has been talked about by Michael Flynn. But I wasn't sure in reading your article whether the DIA report that you're referring to is an entire new report. It's certainly a less redacted one. Uh, than the one we've all seen. Is that right? Uh, I, you know, one, one doesn't want to chat too much about, uh, you know, this is the government that prosecutes people. But, no, I, actually, uh, the, the DA report is the one that everybody has seen. Uh, actually was, um, a, um, without trying to dim- diminish it, it was a, a, a lesser animal. It wasn't, um, I asked about that when it first became known. And it was, although. Um, uh, it said a lot of good things. It, it didn't have the gravamen of the kind of information I'm talking about now. What I was writing about was uh, um, basically a you know sort of where are we now assessment in this whole operation against Syria mm. that was uh, all sources and it involved um, um, it involved um, uh, human intelligence and satellite intelligence and intercept intelligence and it also was done in conjunction with this, uh, a study done by the Joint Staff of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Joint Chiefs of Staff have their own personal private staff that, you know, this is a high-level bunch of guys who uh, work directly for the Chiefs, uh, and the Joint Chiefs. And uh, this is a study done uh, just, uh, you know, that um, um, uh, the study you're referring to was dealt quite a bit with the um, the moderates versus other issues. This was a broader study, right? Uh, and and I'm not suggesting I have it. I, I don't even begin to suggest that. I just know about it. And and, and uh, what I did write in the article was that it said the the assessment had three major findings. One of which was that you're not going to get anywhere if you if you depose Assad. That can't happen before. You know, certainly uh, after the after uh, you know the um, Islamic State is defeated. Uh, which could be uh, once it's defeated, um, then and the country is stabilized, then most certainly Sadat has uh, uh, Assad has agreed to this that there will be a, uh, an, a national elections uh, monitored and et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's safe to say uh, he probably is going to be convinced he could win it. You know, who knows what's going to happen afterwards? But the idea that you're going to depose him now before you reach a settlement. While this war is still going on, it's going to lead to another, you know, another Libya. When we got rid of Gaddafi, look what happened. So the the assessment said the idea of getting rid of him, that he must go regime change. The government, the White House and John Kerry, the Secretary of State, have come off that a little bit. But if you really read them carefully, even now they say, well, we're not demanding, just last week uh, Kerry said, we're not demanding regime change. But we don't think he can preside over any negotiations that are serious to end the crisis or to get a ceasefire, which is basically saying the same thing, mm-hmm. that uh, um, he's got to go. The second major thing that this study said was that Turkey 
um, the government of uh, Erdogan uh, is 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 a big problem, a major problem because he's funneling arms and he's funneling men. Some come from Qatar. Some a lot of some are even Uyghurs, the Chinese dissidents that uh, roll from uh, from that uh, from the, that western province where the Uyghurs are in dominance and under great pressure too from the Russians, uh, the Chinese rather, who are quite brutal in their repression, but they come and they leave China and they get to Kazakhstan and they get into Turkey and from Turkey they get into Syria. That's that's a mess. The open border is a mess. <laughs> and the third uh, uh, component is the whole question of, you know, are, are there moderates or are there not moderates? And, you know, the, the, the assessment was very clear that this is an illusion, that the, whatever groups that aren't as radical, as extreme as the Islamic State or al-Nusra, uh, have no 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 alternative but to trade arms, either trade or sell, or have them forced to be taken from them. So whatever arms we give to the alleged moderate, they they become it becomes irrelevant. And by the way, yesterday in the New York Times, J.C. Shivers, Shivers, um, a, a very good journalist, there wrote a long long piece on one um, Islamic State um, 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 uh, leader, a pretty hardline guy who's, uh, as you saw, if you read the piece, it ran three pages, two full pages, or almost two pages. It was clear that, you know, his motivation is, besides the lust for killing, is money. Uh, the Islamic State gave him money. He's not a dyed-in-the-wool uh, uh, religious ideologue. So, you know, the, uh, there's, a lot that, there's a lot that we don't understand about the Islamic State. Um, but one thing is clear, they basically control the opposition. All right, now... Um, what you, uh, wrote in here was that the Joint Chiefs, they decided that they could be subtly insubordinate here by sort of sticking with the previous policy that, hey, al-Nusra, that's al-Qaeda, they're the enemy, right? So let's just continue on our, uh, policy of working with other countries in the region against them, and we'll sort of pretend to not recognize, I guess, that we're directly contravening Obama's policy, which is apparently to deliberately support or at least make the space for the rise of al-Nusra and the Islamic State in Syria. Oh, I'm not sure that's their policy. I know a lot of people think so, um, but I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. I'm really, I'm, I, I think the administration just blunders. Um, I, I think there's no question early on in 2012 when the CIA began the supplying of arms, yes, they were supplying arms to the to the to the more radical groups. I think there was a tremendous amount of stupidity, negative thought. But I think at this point, the notion that we're directly supporting um, ISIS—I know people have written this, and people are respected written it—but I just disagree. Huh. I don't well, think. I, di- I didn't exactly say that, but anyway. Well, but that's it. That's the gist you get. That there's still some this idea that uh, there's no question that at some point in our career, the United States. Are you kidding? Certainly supported, but people who became the extreme fundamentalists, beginning with the war in Afghanistan in 1979 and all during the 80s. Well, and this is your article from 2007. It's called The Redirection, where they said, oops, we fought for Iran in Iraq War II, so now we need to redirect toward the Saudis and their allies, specifically in Syria, right? Um, I think that's absolutely true. There's no question that we were Muslim Brotherhood, for example, we supported. That was in 07. Oh wait, I did write that article, and that's uh, that's one of those articles that's been reprinted. I don't know how many tens of thousands of times, because it did say something significant: the Sunni-Shia war. Yes, but that was then, and this is now. I don't think in the last year there's been 
you know, I, I, even though God knows there's still arms that we give to what we call the moderates, and we now know, we should know, that the moderates are under tremendous, excuse me, I've got a cold, under tremendous pressure to see the cell or forcibly have them taken away mm-hmm. by the more extreme groups. I don't think the idea of a moderate existing is very viable. But, you know, the other thing you said is uh, when you describe what the CIA, what the Joint Chiefs were thinking, uh, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I can just tell you the reasoning was, in terms of, of deciding to supply information, to, um, uh, is that we weren't going to talk to Bashar Assad, but the Germans were there. Uh, we knew the Germans were working with Assad. They believed that it was very important for a lot of reasons. One reason, Germany has six million Muslims in their country. They didn't want uh, Syria to suddenly become... A, a home, a beacon for uh, you know medical Islam. They didn't know how that would impact on their country, on their the Muslims in their country, whether that would make them more extreme or more dangerous. You know the sort of the internal problem we have here with our the over, you know the exaggerated fear of uh, of terrorism. So that was an issue. We also know that the Russians, with whom we've had a very good military to military relationship since the end of the Russian Federation, since the end of the uh, the, the Soviet Union. We maintain close ties. The Russians were talking to the Israelis. They were talking to Assad. So the Germany wanted some intelligence. So the Joint Chiefs just began to give Germany, military to military, answer their questions. And um, that's the way they looked at it. That's the way they looked at it. They were simply helping an ally, military to military. That's why the title of the piece is the same. Right back in just a sec, you Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America Lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel Lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. That's CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. All right, the second half of my interview with Seymour Hirsch from this morning. Military to military. That's why the title of the piece is the same. And they weren't necessarily directly contravening uh, the president's uh, policy. Uh, I don't dispute what you said as being a practical sentence. I'm just telling you how it was phrased in the article I wrote. Right. All right, and now, so it's interesting, too, that... um, you say that they're trying to build some confidence with Assad, and he said, well, get rid of Bandar for me. They said, well, we can't do that. Well, but how about this? They shut down the Libya arms rat line. Is that right? Well, there are a couple of things. I just, just to make it clear, what happened is their question was, you know, the, the question that, that, was, that was posed is Assad clearly knew. Obviously, the Germans knew because he was suddenly getting very good intelligence on where al-Nusra and where the what was now ISIS um, were staging and what they plan to do, even in anticipation of some of the moves. We have some interesting intelligence we can get. And obviously, um, the question he had, as, as I, I was told, was, do I trust the Americans? 
And one way that it was determined, uh, the, the rhetorical question was, what can we do to show you, show you love? And the answer was, this is all done indirectly, was to bring me the head of Bondar. Prince Bondar was the Saudi, a long-time Saudi ambassador here, long-time supporter of uh, Wahhabism and Salafism, the more radical sects of the Muslim sects. And certainly, uh, be- even before the insurgency began in Syria uh, in uh, March of uh, 2011, the Syrians knew that the, um, that the uh, Saudis were uh, financing of pouring guns and arms into Homs, which is a, uh, um, a city uh, always known for its closeness to the Muslim Brotherhood, who are the big opposition to the Assad regime, Assad government. So it, it's, it's, it's not as if it was directly as that direct. And what was the other thing you said about... Um, oh, that um, so they decided that what they would do instead would be, as a show of good faith, they would shut down the arms coming in from well, Libya. You know, that's interesting. Um, uh, it's, it's not shut down. What happened is the arms were coming in. It was the rat line that, that I, I actually I wrote about in the London Review a year ago, more than a year ago, the rat line from, you know, we, here we are, what a lesson. You think we learned from history. We knock out Gaddafi and the country goes crazy. It's completely chaotic then. Uh, 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 the Islamic State, uh, et cetera, has much more of a, of, 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 of a perch than it ever did before uh, while um, uh, Gaddafi was alive. He was, in the end, he was working with us and very um, uh, trying to be secular. Um, you know, uh, don't ask me why we always manage to overthrow secular people. You know, Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi, and um, and now going after Assad. These are three guys that we don't like very much, but they happen to have one thing in common with us: is that they they don't like uh, they they don't like religious fanaticism. Uh, anyway, um, what they did is is they simply you couldn't stop the flow of uh, the rat line going because they were it was a systematic flow from Benghazi, and that's what Ambassador Stevens, the one who was killed, was involved in that. I write a little bit about that, and uh, what you could do is is instead of um, sending high quality weapons, you could perhaps um, divert some of the shipments and begin to ship junk you know, Korean War vintage stuff, and that's what we did. That's what the Army, the Joint Chiefs, arranged to have some shipments and not be first-rate stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't sabotage it. They didn't end it, but the shipments were of lesser quality. All right, and now you say one of the conditions that the Chiefs had, there are a few conditions, including talk with Israel about Golan, if you want to get into that, but I was really curious about the thing where they said, we want you to bring in Russian military advisors. What was the thinking behind that? Well, the Russians have always been very close to the Syrians. Absolutely. Yeah, but why would the chiefs want Assad to rely on them more? Um, what I said was the it was the policy they were against was that Russia should have no contact. Uh, that didn't mean we were necessarily egging on Russia to do it. It just mean that the notion that Russia can't play a role struck us as silly. Hmm. I, I probably could have, re- you know, the fact is he's had Russian advisors forever. The Russians, that's probably an inartful sentence. It's less than complete. But I will tell you, he's had Russian advisors for decades. Sure. He's loaned them money, sold them arms. Um, I, I, think, I, I think the way to put it is that the administration was saying, you know, we, we, we don't like you to have Russians around. We were saying that's an impossible situation. You know, it was just saying that there's no way you're going to stop Syria from having Russian advisors. Mm-hmm. And the Russians were very strong, for example, in the in Syria's the chemical warfare program. 
why they, if you remember, I wrote a story saying that the Russians were among the first people to tell us we had it wrong about this, this Saren. Mm-hmm. Because there was a long-standing relationship. Uh, actually, at one point it was uh, the Russian chief of staff and General Dempsey, our chairman, were friends. At the same time, Peter, Peter Wall, who was the head of the, uh, the British Defense Services, Peter Wall and the Russian, the Russian advisor, Jerem, I, I mangled the pronunciation, Jerem Simov, Valery Jarosimov was the chief Russian guy, and Dempsey all knew each other and had served, I guess, at various times together or in close, in, in close proximity. And so there was a relationship. And it's hard for Americans sometimes. You know, if you think about it, in, in, at one point, at the critical point in World War II, we overlooked the fact that Stalin had been working with Hitler, had signed a pact, an infamous pact with Hitler. And we, we joined Hitler, we joined Stalin, we supported Stalin when he fought Hitler. I mean, we can't overlook, you know, there's things that Putin does and Russians do in Ukraine, which we deplore, et cetera. But that doesn't mean you can't work elsewhere. Anyway. Well, and speaking of allying with our enemies, uh, I wanted to ask you about this meeting in Washington where it's uh, John Brennan called in, you say, the intelligence chiefs from around the Middle East, and I guess specifically he's talking to the Saudis and the Qataris and so forth, and saying, please, just back, I don't know which mythical moderates, maybe Arar al-Sham, and not ISIS and Nusra, and they completely ignored him and did whatever they wanted anyway? It looks like they did, yes. That seemed to be what happened. The problem is the media's never been made public. And, you know, um, um, and, uh, you know, but even the Ashar al-Salam, how do you pronounce it, Ashar al-Ansar? What's that? Oh, uh, Arar al-Sham? Arar, well... uh, Yeah, they're nothing but al-Qaeda, too. I mean, really. Well, I think you mean Shara al-Sham. S-H-A-R-A-A-L-Shar al-Sham. You know, it's funny you mention that because there's a. I didn't put this in the story because it's not so significant. But uh, if you remember Ambassador Ford, um, uh, uh, the uh, Robert Ford, who was the American ambassador to Syria. Mm. But you know, when the insurgency started in uh, Syria and how he became sort of uh, notorious, I would say, uh, certainly a, a little bit unprofessional with his open support for the opposition. I, I remember he was, and then he, he left the diplomatic affairs in 2014. Then became a leading critic of um, Obama's uh, refu- refusal to send uh, um, more lethal weapons uh, to uh, the so-called moderates. And among the people he thought that should be uh, supported was Shahr el-Sham. And it's uh, I guess we call it in English the Islamic movement of Syria free men. And that was an allegedly sort of a secular moderate group that we were pushing, but Brennan was pushing then as sort of a model group. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so funny, but Ford was interviewed uh, in October on BBC Hard Talk, you know that show? And uh, he actually ran into an interviewer who knew a, knew a lot. And uh, when he started talking about, um, uh, this is, um, uh, you know, a, a radio, 25-minute radio show, when, the, when he started talking about the Shara al-Sham as, as the kind of group that would be welcome pluralism. Uh, the moderator, a guy named, a presenter they call it, Steve Sacker, Stephen Sacker, I don't know him, but he actually knew something. He said, well, how could it be considered moderate since the, uh, that group has publicly endorsed Sharia law, 
Sharia law and made clear that Christians and Alawites would not be welcome in 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 the new Syria. And Ford's answer was, well, I don't agree with their all their policies. There is Sharia law and Sharia law. They don't have to be so firm. And but you know, and then there was a long pause. And I kid you not, there's no there's no transcript. You had to go listen to the show to get it, the podcast. He said, well, it's not a group I would ever want my daughter to marry into. I love that line. It's okay for everybody else in the world, but not his daughter. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, and Andrew Coburn was just on the show uh, about his new piece in Harper's and explained how Arar al-Sham is directly descendant from the Azam group that really became al-Qaeda. It's just another branch yeah, of Osama bin Laden's I, movement. Is I, all I, it is. I, I, Coburn wrote a great piece. I read it, although yeah. I, I, you know, I, uh, I would take issue that we're still openly supporting ISIS. I think indirectly you could argue we did. I, I can see the argument for it, but I don't think we... Well, I, I think he's talking more about Nusra there because the support for the Army of Conquest and, right. and Arar al-Sham when they fight side-by-side side with Nusra all day, every day so for the last four and a half years anyway. Anyway, look, I gave you work to do. You have to cut this. Yep. But you'll do it. You'll figure it out. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming back on the no show, problem. so I appreciate it. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, Joe. We'll be right back. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. You hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. <laughs> All right, you guys. From the Hill just now on Twitter. Just in, in all capital letters. I'm pretty sure they're not joshing around. They really mean it. Hillary Clinton vows to cure Alzheimer's disease by 2025. Oh, you got my vote, Mr. President. What a great promise to make. I'll tell you what. I will cure Alzheimer's disease by 2025. You like that? It's going to be great. All right. Anyway, sorry. I had to explain why I was laughing at the start of the show there. Uh, all right. So our next guest on the show today is John B. Carroll, and he writes at HenryCountyReport.com. Uh, welcome back to the show, John. How are you doing? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. Oh, I need to remember to turn you down here and put my headphones on. I'm getting sloppy. It's the holiday season. Hey, uh, so everybody, you remember John. He was on the show uh, just a couple of weeks ago about uh, the story of the corruption in a town called Dothan in Alabama, right? Yes, sir. Or, uh, man, I almost thought Arkansas for a second. Okay, good. I'm glad I only partially screwed that up by thinking I screwed it up. Um, okay, Dothan, Alabama. And, uh, and what you said on the show... Uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and wrote on your site here at henrycountyreport.com is that you got your hands on many, many documents from an internal affairs investigation into what amounted to, in layman's terms, a conspiracy between 
the prosecutors, the cops, and the judicial branch in this town to routinely frame up and convict innocent black men, primarily of drug possession charges, but not only that. And now, so where I want to start the interview today was, and you can correct me if I misstated any of that or whatever, uh, feel free, but uh, what what I want to start with was you got a little bit of criticism uh, for getting out way ahead of your document, supposedly, and I admit that I didn't really do all my diligence and read through all my documents and make sure that uh, your entire story held up to the documents and this and that. But I did read your responses, uh, for one, at the Radley Balco site on the Washington Post, where you wrote in the comments section and said, well, just wait and see, and a little bit of this. Clearly, you have this news story that we're going to get to about um, the uh, you know new witnesses that you have in your favor, et cetera, like this. Plenty of time for that. But I just wanted to ask you whether... Uh, you thought there were any criticisms, uh, any valid criticisms of uh, whether your reporting got out ahead of your documents, and and whether you you know wanted to address that in any way. Sure, and we welcome any and all criticism. Just to to go back to just a moment, what the Henry County Report is is an online newspaper. It's a community nonprofit. They're primarily for people, <clears throat> so it's not my website. It's just uh, I occasionally write for them. I've written for Truth Out, several other publications uh, in the past, but they have a very vested interest in the community, the larger community in southeast Alabama where Dothan is located. So just to clarify for your listeners, uh, it's not necessarily on my site. I'm just one of the people that write on the site. Um, We've welcomed the criticism. Uh, I think 90s, take Mr. Balco's article in the Washington Post, he uh, he never tried to contact us. Uh, we pointed that out, and, and even after we gave him personal cell phone numbers, our editor gave him that. He he uh, had already published his article, and he wasn't going to retreat on that, which is fine. And I think 90% of his article is spot on about how you know he inquired about the judicial district and the district attorney. Um, but it would have been nice if the Washington Post had actually followed up and contacted some of the sources that we had that were willing to speak with with a news organization like that. So he uh, missed out on that opportunity. You know, and that would be, in one case, the person that was in charge of the Internal Affairs Division that published those documents. That You know, he was the originator of those documents and conducted the investigation. He was more than willing to speak directly with anyone with the Washington Post, but Mr. Balco in his rush to uh, criticize a little, you know, crossroads, dirt road paper, <laughs> we're, we're, we don't, we're not much on the pecking order, Scott. We're yeah. just working no, really in a little rural community. And that's okay, you know, because if, it's just like you. If you can poke holes in our story, we're the very first person that wants to know it uh, so we can get it right. That's our attitude, be, you know, very progressive and, well, and that's why I had you back on, because I figure, you know, if you made a mistake here or there, I don't know specifically what they would be, but you seem like a straight shooter to me, and, and that you're trying your best, and that you're concerned with the truth getting out here, uh, you know, to the benefit of the innocent victims of the authorities here. So that's good enough for me. And uh, I'm surprised about uh, what you say about uh, Balco's lack of follow-up. Uh, he usually does a really great job on this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so that's unfortunate to he's hear a, he's that. He's a great guy, great thinker. He, he, he maybe just really busy and 
Uh, and that's okay. You know, one of the conflicts. Well, and we as had, the story develops further, you know, we'll see what happens. You might get right back to it. Right. One of the things that we were caught in a conflict with is honoring our word to our sources. One, we had to protect our identity because some of these sources are current police officers. Some are retired. Uh, some are working with other police forces, but all were there during this common period when this went on. Um, and they had very specific names that they wanted redacted out of the documents. And these, some of these names were confidential informants. Some of these names were other sworn law enforcement officers that had filed written complaints on fellow officers. So, you know, we were left with, you take it or leave it. You know, we, so we decided we would stick to our word um, and honor our sources. And we had people like Slate Magazine, for example, I think it's Leon Nefeski, in the Southern Poverty Law Center, they they just demanded that we hand over all of the documents, which is, you know, around 800-some-odd documents. And we just couldn't do that with any kind of good conscience because we don't know, number one, that they will honor the word we gave to our sources. Mm. Well, you did uh, give and, them to the DOJ, are, right? Didn't you say that you did turn over everything to the Department of Justice? Yeah, they have access. They have uh, secure, encrypted access to any of the documents. As well, we have, since you and I spoke, we have, uh, the state of Alabama, his attorney general has assigned a special prosecutor, Matt Hart, to investigate this case. And we have agreed to give him access as well after our sources gave us the green light. Okay. And uh, so that's a new development too, then, the special prosecutor, right? <clears throat> That's a new development, and probably the biggest development we've had is a former prosecutor uh, named Kalia Lane has come forward and did a radio interview with us. We interviewed her twice. We just posted her first interview, and she has acknowledged that there were she knew of hundreds of cases like this, and she actually complained to the FBI and gave the local FBI office the name of the defendants, the name of the arresting officer, the circumstances to which they were complaining drugs were planted. And the FBI never once investigated any of the cases, the complaints against the Dayton Police Department. So that's that's big in our favor that we have a, uh, you know, Ms. Lane is actually also served as assistant district attorney in Macon County to the north of here. So very credible person, solid member of the bar, worked both sides of the fence as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. And she says, look, this has been going on for years. And she also confirmed she has a current case pending where a young man has been placed in an ant bed to torture him. And this, you know, this corroborates what these witnesses and victims and former police officers all say. Amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I know people are so biased toward the police as their protectors that they try to think of an excuse. The person they done that to must have been really bad, must have something, something, something. But just think about if that's somebody that you care about. You know, the fact that they were torturing them with fire ants would tend to me to indicate that we should more than presume the guy was innocent uh, if that's what they had to do to get him to so-called confess. And just think about that's your cousin, your nephew, your brother. Uh, somebody that you care about, that that's what the cops do to him. I mean, that absolutely is torture. And yep. and that absolutely is, hang on right there, we're about to have to take this break. But um, I wanted to, to just say real quick at the break, this this story about Kali Elaine, I mean, this ought to be 
uh, the biggest national news all across this country right now, that they got a, an assistant district attorney coming forward with uh, major verifications here. Hang tight on the line, John. We'll be right back, everybody. It's John B. Carroll writing at henrycountyreport.com. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. Hey, all Scott here. If you like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at darrenscoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world, all specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. Darren'sCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. Darren'sCoffee.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Talking with John B. Carroll. And uh, he's writing at henrycountyreport.com. They're in Alabama. And uh, a huge developing story about a uh, multiple-member conspiracy among the police, the prosecutors, and the judges, uh, this conveyor belt of innocent black men framed up, I think, mostly on drug possession charges. Right, John? That's right. And, and Scott, we had two other really big developments this past week uh, that I, I want to make sure your listeners know. The We had hundreds of people show up at a community meeting in a little small Pentecostal church in a, in a you know, traditionally black community, and they were... The police were there taking pictures of the people and taking pictures of their license plates. They then, the next few days, went to a city commission meeting and demanded the resignation of this police chief, where they were called black thugs in the local media. Just unbelievable. So we started getting threats because they accused our little newspaper of inciting civil unrest. So we were fortunate enough to have a federal whistleblower come to us and share confidential documents that are on our website that identified all the major white supremacists operating in the Dothan government and the Dothan community. All I did is redact their social security numbers, and I put it up there. If they want to continue to threaten us, we're going to put more information up there, and we're going to identify these people. You know, We already identified their names and their physical addresses and phone numbers, but we're going to go further than that if they pushed us one more time. So this is a real battle down here in South Alabama to get this chief and his goon squad out of office. Mm-hmm. Well, now, so you talked about how, what, the state attorney general then appointed this special prosecutor. So there's some, there must be some pressure other than in just the black community for something to happen here, right? Or it wouldn't have happened. It is. Yeah, the state, the state, uh, the state NAACP came down and they have gotten involved. Uh-huh. They are formally asking for his resignation. But, you know, so far we have zero movement. They are, you know, claiming this will uh, all go away. They're, they're start, starting an operation that's called Operation Black Watch. They're installing security cameras in all the traditional black neighborhoods. Operation Black Watch? People. Really? It's just insane. You know, they're not listening. You know, I have a rebel flag here in my cabin, but 
if I was a public servant and I had to work with or over or underneath people in a taxpayer-funded position, it's pretty damn sensitive for me to have that flag draped all over my office. And that's what this guy is. I mean, you, you saw his press conference. He made it all about himself. It's not about the sensitivity to people of African descent that this man's supposed to lead. Not to mention 48% of the community of Dothan happens to be of color. There's just no, there's not any connection to reality with these people. They're still fighting a lost cause, war of northern aggression. It's just insane, you know. And they they think it's smart to plant drugs on young black men. That's just insane. Well, they think it's fun to do that and think it's profitable is i think the real answer there but so but now so tell me more about this the assistant district attorney here who has come forward because this is unheard of as far as i know that an ada is going to say it's all true about these guys yeah she's well she's she's a former city prosecutor for the city of dothan and she's worked in a county a judicial district north of here as an assistant district attorney and currently works as a defense attorney held in very high regard, and she worked, I believe it was seven years as a city prosecutor. So she literally, you know, you can, you can, um, we can give you access to that file if you want to use it and play it for your listeners. She literally knew of hundreds, she had hundreds of cases where she complained directly to the FBI, and they did nothing about it. So there's zero trust with local law enforcement when you have the leader of this police department of a, you know, the town of Dothan is, say, 90,000 with the surrounding 200,000 population. There's just no trust at this point moving forward. Well, and that's a huge flaw in the theory that all we have is the national government, the Department of Justice, as the check on our local cops when, I mean, obviously it's difficult. As you say, when the people come together, the media gangs up with the government to say, oh, look, they're all black thugs. They they want to kill cops. Oh, boo-hoo. And pretend that they're the victims. When what we're talking about is the black community of the town saying, hey, all we want is a redress of injustice. And there are a lot of whites of goodwill. You know, there are a lot of rural country whites that are completely sympathetic to this. And they just don't have the power to do anything about it. it. Yeah. Well, here's what's going to happen. I can tell you this. It, it, the insurance companies that the city of Dothan, Alabama, has insurance with, and in, in the state of Alabama, we have a qualified immunity law. If you're a sworn officer and make a mistake in the line of duty, if there are legal damages, you're, you have immunity, and if there's any money paid out, the insurance companies pay it. But that's not if that police officer commits a felony and a criminal act. So the city of Dothan has already been notified that its insurance companies are not going to pay out for any officers or management of those officers committing felonies. So you can imagine, if you've got a 1,000 people wrongfully convicted, let's say you had two or 300 sent to prison, it's going to be catastrophic financially for this town. They're going to sue them into bankruptcy, and that's what should happen. Yeah. And so now at this point, um, you mentioned the state-level special prosecutor. What do the feds claim they're doing about this, if anything, at this point? They have not said anything. They are just, uh, you know, on the record, they have said nothing. Uh, and, you know, I can't really discuss what they said off the record, but they are analyzing these documents and they're interviewing people like Kelly Lane. Yeah. I mean, it's really something else to have her say that she knows of at least 50 
cases that she knows of personally were allegations so she said of over a hundred. Over a hundred. Oh well, in this in this article here, it says as many as fifty were uh, uh, narcotics were planted. Maybe that right, was a more specific. Original, yeah, that was the original article with just one officer. He had fifty drug arrests pending with the court when he was, you know, when he resigned under pressure. Yeah. Well, you know, it so seems like if she's going to complain to the DOJ all that time, why didn't she just ask the uh, a state judge for a warrant for the arrest of these guys? And just prosecute them herself. I think in South Alabama, that would be a death sentence for her. Yeah, she would probably have to wear a helmet around anyway. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I just don't think that's feasible with the political climate. I don't, I don't mean that physical death sentence, but career-wise, uh, she went to the FBI. You know, And when, when the FBI does nothing, we published, I emailed you a link a little while ago, and that'll be live later today, but you have a private link to it. You can read letter after letter after letter by sworn police officers writing to the U.S. Attorney General all the way down to the State Attorney General and the U.S. Attorney mm-hmm. saying they're cover-ups, this is what's going on, no one ever came to help these guys. Yeah. Well, tell me when to, that it's okay to tweet that out, and I'll go ahead and, and tweet that out. I have the page right here full of I'll documents. Do so. All right. Thanks very much, John. Appreciate your great journalism here. Thank you, Scott. That's John B. Carroll. He writes at henrycountyreport.com. And, yeah, he's got the documents he claims to have here. I got them. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get the War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, all Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. If this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, y'all. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. Yeah, breaking news from the war. Oh, which war? Sorry. Got to specify the uh, Iraqi front. Of the Islamic State war. Iraqi troops, that is, uh, Shiistan troops, storm into center of Islamic State held Ramadi. Really? Iraq's armed forces, this is, uh, Reuters today. No, it's not. This is old. Wait. No, the caption is old. I was gonna say, wait, what the hell? It's today. Uh, Iraq's armed forces stormed the center of Ramadi on Tuesday, a spokesman for their counterterrorism unit said, in a drive to dislodge Islamic State militants from their remaining stronghold in a city they captured in May. The operation to recapture Ramadi, a predominantly Sunni Muslim city on the river Euphrates some hundred miles west of Baghdad, began in early November after a months-long effort to cut off supply lines to the city. <clears throat> 
whose fall to the Islamic State was a major defeat for Iraq's weak central government. Progress has been slow because the government wants to rely entirely on its own troops and not use Shiite militias in order to avoid rights abuses such as occurred after the recapture of the city of Tikrit from the militants in April. Is that really right? And then I have the, the uh, you know, Mahdi Army and Bada Brigade with them? That it's just uh, the so-called quote-unquote Iraqi army? I know Americans have been providing air cover. Mitchell Prothero said the Marines were there. Special Forces, not full-scale invasion. Um, all right, well, let's see. Our forces are advancing toward the government complex in the center of Ramadi. The fighting in the neighborhoods around the complex with support from the Air Force. Which Air Force? Iraqi intelligence estimates the number of Islamic State fighters entrenched in the center of Ramadi, capital of the western Ambar province, at between 250 to 300. Oh, that's it. Maybe they could take them. It's a ferocious fight, premature to say how long it will take, but we can't say victory will be achieved in a few days. Dozens of militants have been killed, said Brigadier General Yaya Rasul, spokesman of the Joint Operations Command. The offensive to capture the city started at dawn. So, anyway, I guess the last major story that we had out of Ramadi before the fall was from our old friend David Enders in his video report that he did for Vice News about how half the city had already fallen to the Islamic State. They're just right there on the other side of the bridge. And the locals, and it was including, uh, you know, they were the mayor and his men were Sunnis but had been part of the awakening and had ties with the Baghdad government clearly did not want to, you know, did not prefer the Islamic State to their alliance with Baghdad and said, but Baghdad won't help us. And the Americans won't either, so somebody help us or we're screwed. And nobody helped them. And so they got overrun. So, I guess a big mistake on Baghdad's part, if they're going to turn right around and try this hard to take it back, Although, I don't know, it doesn't sound like the Islamic State fought for it very hard, but then again, I guess the only answer to why would be because they couldn't. There's only so many strategic retreats until you're just retreating. That ain't, you know, just being uh, fluid on the battlefield and, and moving around. But then again, you look what happened when the uh, Kurdish Peshmerga took Sinjar, they didn't really get rid of the Islamic State. There's a... Jeez, I guess this was a Reuters story too, wasn't it? Where was it where they said, Oh yeah, no, the Islamic State just opened up a new route through there. They were trying to cut off the supply line, but... They just took the back roads instead. Same difference. Um, the Baiji refinery over near Tikrit is still going back and forth, right? They can't even really nail that down all the way, so... Who knows? But then check this out, too. 
Such an important point. Uh, Ned Parker, writing at Reuters, uh, also at Reuters, uh, former LA Times reporter, decent reporter. Uh, he has this one from December the 14th. Two unpublished investigations show that the United States has consistently overlooked killings and torture by Iraqi government-sponsored Shiite militias. Yeah, from 2003 on. And then he specifically names the Bada Brigade. Well, that's just another name for the Iraqi army, really. And, you know, the Bada Brigade, they were the militia of what was called the Supreme Council for Islamic Revolution in Iraq. And then after George Bush accomplished their revolution for them, they renamed themselves the Iraqi Supreme Islamic Council, or the Supreme Islamic Council of Iraq, or whatever. Anyway, they dropped the revolution because they didn't need it anymore. They had that. And it was Abdulaziz al-Hakim, their leader, who Bush befriended the most, who preferred... Uh, Bush preferred um, the Supreme Islamic Council even to the Bada Brigade, who ended up being basically the compromise party between the Supreme Islamic Council and Muqtada al-Sadr and his group among the Shiites. In other words, yeah, George Bush fought, I know it's old hat, but eh, not to everybody. George Bush fought the entire second Iraq war for Iran and for their sock puppet parties, Skiri and Dawa. The Bada Brigade, the torturers, are just the militia of the Supreme Islamic Council. And, you know, just like uh, you might have seen the Sniper movie where um, the uh, bad guy murders his, uh, tortures and murders his victims with power drills. Well, in real life, that was America's allies that used the power drills to torture and murder their victims. The Shiite militias that they used on the Sunnis stack up their bodies like cord wood on the side of the road in the morning. 3,000 people dying a month for two-thirds of 2007 anyway. That was the worst of it. Well, you know, 2005. Anyway, so uh, the news here is that they have these reports now. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find the paragraph with the thing about the reports. Um... Oh, they were Iraqi government reports. Really? An unofficial interior ministry organization called the Special Investigations Directorate. The body was run by militia commanders from Badr. And Washington pressured the Iraqi government to investigate the prison with the findings of Baghdad's investigation. Oh, wait, no, I got that wrong. Oh, I'm sorry, I screwed this up. The Special Investigations Directorate, those were the torturers. They don't say the name of the directorate that did the investigation. Going, wait, the Bada Brigade investigated their own torture and came up with a great report on it? <laughs> I must have got something mixed up here. Yeah. It, it might be good, Scott Horton, to read your material before you explain to people. Anyway, I already know who the damn torturers are. I don't need to read the article. 
I need to read the article so I know who's doing the investigation because that's what's new. But the point is, uh, quote, Special Investigations Directorate personnel illegally detained, tortured, and murdered Iraqi citizens. The U.S. report says Iraqi government officials failed to take action. So there's two of them, one U.S. and one Iraqi. So you're a libertarian, and you don't believe the propaganda about government awesomeness you were subjected to in fourth grade. You want real history and economics. Well, learn in your car from professors you can trust with Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. And if you join through the Liberty Classroom link at scotthorton.org, we'll make a donation to support The Scott Horton Show. Liberty Classroom, the history and economics they didn't teach you. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Wrapping up for the day here. And then, you know what? Yeah, man, I'm going to take off the rest of the week. It's Christmas. Screw you. I'm going to hang around with my family and have a good time. Um, Our good friend, Ian, from the Liberty Radio Network, he'll play your reruns or something. But anyway... Yeah, man, Christmas Eve Eve belongs to me. That's tomorrow, right? Christmas Eve Eve? Yeah. Uh, I got work to do. I'm not going to be playing. I'm going to be working. I got to work on that book proposal for that book with Tom. Uh, I've been procrastinating. I've been in permanent facepalm mode since the Paris attack and the reaction that, geez, maybe it really is their religion that makes them hate us since... We tried non-intervention for the past 15 years, and that didn't work. Oh, my God. Western civilization, stop being so stupid. You're killing me. I'm literally dying of the, what is it, the stress causes the cortisol to harden up the arteries to my heart. Oh, I'm gone now. Boulder says Ian is on. Am I not even on? Tell me now. Am I still gone? Oh, I better type that. Am I still gone? I wonder what happened. Well, there was a thing wrong with the thing. I started talking as soon as the... uh... No, I'm back now? All right. What a wonderful world. I think what happened was I was letting Ozzy's harmonica go there for a minute and he thought that I was disconnected or something and thought, oh no. But really, I was just letting y'all listen to a tiny bit of Black Sabbath. I bet that was the thing. Anyway. It don't matter. Don't matter. Point is, I hope y'all have a good Christmas. That's the point. Or if you hate Christmas, then... Hope you have a good time hating Christmas this year. That's cool, too. I don't care. Isn't that Ozzy playing the harmonica there? I guess I just assumed that, yeah, he is the singer. Seems like he would have been the harmonica guy. 
of the wizard. All right. Hey, man, uh, everybody does this at the end of the year, except not me, because you know what? I have a very, very, very small staff of volunteers, and things just don't work well around here. It's not much of a business I'm running. Um, so there should be a giant thing on the site that says, hey, give all of your money to the Scott Horton Show. And then, uh, you know, and encourage you to do that. Tom Dispatch and Democracy Now! and Antiwar.com and the Mises Institute and everybody in the world is saying, hey, support your thing that you like. Well, so I should say that, too. I do a terrible job of running this show. Support this show. What radio have you ever heard of where the host was good on everything and has Seymour Hersh's phone number, too? Uh, those of you who like it, well, you know, there ain't never going to be another show where the guy is right on everything like I am. Not that makes you this happy to hear it. No, sir. Never again in your lives or ma'ams either. So if you like this show and you want there to still be a show, I mean, I got to admit, I'm not trying to blackmail or extort you here, but it does occur to me that 4,000 interviews... Uh, 15 years of this, 14, 15 years of this. Um, yeah, maybe I need to find different, better, more profitable things to do for a living. You know, I don't know. Every time I think that I get emails and donations from people and things and people saying, Hey, really appreciate it. So that makes me think, well, geez, I don't know if you guys are counting on me and everything. I don't but anyway, if you're counting on me, well, then I'll let it be known to you. I'm counting on you too. I actually just got an email from a guy who said maybe he's interested in advertising. Well, that's great. Anybody else wants to advertise on the show, let me know. If you have the inkling of shopping with my sponsors, donating to their causes, etc., then uh, I would highly encourage you to do that, too. That encourages them to continue to sponsor the show. You see how that works. Not a whole bunch of middlemen and endless overhead here. These guys support this show, support them, help keep that real. And then um, if you got a business, advertise. Let's work something out. I'm cheap. I won't change what I say for you, but I will say things about whatever it is you're selling for you. Just shoot me an email, scott at scotthorton.org, and we'll take care of that. And then otherwise, there's a 100 ways to support the show at scotthorton.org slash donate. If you like donating to things, you can do uh, weekly or monthly subscriptions. You can sign up for Patreon. That's like a per-interview thing. If you ever want me to shut up and do some more interviews and let the other guy talk, then uh, that's how to incentivize me to do more interviews. You sign up for Patreon, patreon.com slash Show, and then you chip in two bits or 50 cents or $100 or whatever it is per interview. And, uh, boy, that'll help encourage me to do more interviews, if that's what you want to do. So, uh, yeah, then there's PayPal. There's also Google Wallet. If you hate PayPal, you're on an anti-PayPal jihad, uh, you can send a check. There's an address there at scotthorton.org slash donate. And uh, I'm usually pretty good at writing thank you notes back to the people who write the checks, but sometimes I kind of screw up and forget because I'm kind of irresponsible. 
But I really appreciate everybody who helps support this show. You know who you are. And uh, especially those PayPal uh, monthly subscriptions. Five bucks here, ten bucks there, fifteen bucks here, thirty bucks there. Those really help, guys. And uh, I know I don't talk about how grateful I am nearly enough on this show. Hell, I hardly ever remember to ask for any money on the show. How the hell am I supposed to remember to say thank you? Please and thank you. I appreciate it. If um, if I had my way, I'd put myself out of business. That's what I'm trying to do. Is uh, help you hate the wars. Help you all hate the wars enough that we can finally get them ended. It's just a matter of consensus. No, sir, we all hate the wars, and we want them ended now. We just need more people saying that exact same thing. That's it. It's just a critical mass. doesn't take all of us, but a certain number singing that chorus at the same time, and that's what will end the wars. And then maybe I'll go work at a break shop again or something. Some more of air conditioning, I guess. I'm kind of old, but maybe not. But anyway, for now, we got wars, and we got, you know what, and I'm sorry to say this too, I'm not really trying to brag about this, but there's just too few people who really pay attention over the long term and have their principles in line so that they always know which side to take, you know, well. It's easy to take the side of the people of Egypt who overthrew Mubarak, and easy to see that it would be absolutely the wrong thing for the American government and its allies to support those trying to overthrow Gaddafi, especially considering who they were. You don't like the Muslim Brotherhood. How do you like the Libyan Islamic fighting group? But, you know, it's part of just doing the show for such a long time in a row now. Um, People are coming to me and asking, well, how's this all work? Because there's so few people who can explain it. I did the Jason Stapleton show, and... You could tell, I could tell, the guy knows all kinds of stuff about the Middle East. I think maybe he even, he was in the army over there or something, I forget now. I think he is a war vet, right? And I'm going, okay, here's a bunch of things that are true, and he's going, okay, I, right, 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 right. But he, he hadn't, you could tell, he hadn't had anybody put it in all in order for you, uh, for him, you know? Line them up and knock them down. This is what happened when they did this. These were the dominoes that fell, and these are, you know, the reactions to those dominoes and these and those things. And that's what you get from the show. That's it. You know? You get um, you get expertise uh, just from long-term coverage and long-term access to the greatest journalists like Gareth Porter and Patrick Coburn and the rest. Giraldi and Margulies and all our favorites. So, yeah, man. Um, oh, see, number six in the chat room says, Ozzy does the harmonica on the wizard. Absolutely. I could have been any of them, I guess. But, yeah, man, so there you go. Uh... I'm sorry that it's still the Iraq War. I mean, just try to debunk as best we can and move on. 